Didn't y'all enjoy worship? Uh, we had a little worship grass with the five string this morning. I like that. So it's good. I want to welcome you guys. Welcome our pe- visitors viewing online as well. We're in a new series called Hot Topics. And uh, what we decided, if the culture is talking about topics like these, we shouldn't be afraid of jumping in and seeing what the Bible has to say about it and, and learning from the Bible together. Last week, we talked about this uh, dramatic cultural shift that is taking place uh, about how we really won't be continue to be in the majority viewpoint uh, as we move forward in our society. But that does not change our mission, does not change what we're called to do, does not change who God is. And today we're going to be talking about how we can reconcile both faith and science, which is a, a pretty big topic, especially for our younger generation growing up. Uh, I'll mention next week we're going to jump into an even more controversial topic about the dignity, the sanctity uh, of life. And so uh, it's going to be a little more PG rated. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a, a kind of a heads up in advance that we will be talking about some mature topics. We'll do it in a respectful and a loving way. Uh, but I wanted to give you a heads up on that. Uh, last week I kind of laid out five ground rules for this series that we use as we go through each topic. And one is humility. We're going to seek humility. Uh, We're going to enter every discussion willing to learn and grow, and we're going to look to God for our answers, which brings me to the second one. We want to embrace Scripture. Unapologetically, we, uh, we want to stand by the Bible's truth. We want to recognize its relevance, its guidance to us as we tackle each topic. The third thing is that we want to respect differences. Um, We acknowledge that every person is created in the image of God, even those people that we disagree with. And we're going to treat others with respect and dignity, uh, just like Jesus did. And which leads us then to what do we do as a result of what we heard? Uh, We're going to build relationships. uh, Everyday life, we're going to seek opportunity to build relationships so that we can share Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of this series. We're going to learn better how we can share Jesus with this world around us because the deepest need of every person is a relationship with God. So today we're going to talk about faith and science and I'll just be honest there is no way I can cover this in 40 minutes. Uh, like I mean I can just I'm just going to be able to scratch the surface. Um, I actually sat down last night and literally uh, deleted about half of my sermon and I still probably have too much this morning. Uh, there's just so much. And so what I want to do is kind of uh, spur you on, maybe motivate you, create in you a desire to go deeper on your own this morning. There's so many books, podcasts, videos out there on faith and science. Um, I'll share a few that have spoken to me. A Reason for God by Tim Keller, great book. Uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, the Language of God by Francis Collins. Uh, there's all sorts of books by Lee Strobel, William Lane Craig, Josh McDowell. Uh, on and on. The Bible Project has had some uh, v- uh, videos and podcasts about this. The, the Veritas Forum online has some good discussion on this. There's so many resources. We don't have an excuse to not learn and to go deeper and, and, and kind of research. And, and my, my goal, again, is for us to strengthen our faith so that we can help others understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. It seems that our culture today tells us that we have to pick either science or faith, that we can't have both. And I'm going to push back against that today because I believe that uh, the relationship between science and faith is not competitive, it's cooperative. Recent polls show that 80% of people in America 
uh, say they believe in the existence of God, if you change the word God to a higher power, it goes up to like 90%. Now, most of those people, many of those people would not say they follow the God of our Bible. But what it shows you is that when we look in this world, 90% of the people say, we're not here by accident. We're not here just because some cosmic accident happened, but there's a a higher power. There's a God at work. It shows us that people are open to understanding and seeing, right, that that we're, we're here because of the providence of God, because the hand of God has been upon this world, because there are so many things that simply cannot be explained. The older I get, the more complex I see everything around us, whether it's creation, whether it's our anatomy, our human bodies. It's so amazing how intricately designed that this world is that we live in. Um, I'll kind of mention a little bit about how I got to where I am. And I've shared some of this before in previous messages in college. I, uh, I, I took a religion class, which you think, oh man, a religion class uh, you're going to learn a lot about faith. Well, I mean, the first day of class, the guys, the, the professor uh, stood up and said, well, all this stuff in the Bible about miracles that happen, that's just fairy tales. He said, that, that's just a fairy tale. Why? Because miracles aren't scientifically possible. I'm like, yes, that's why it's called a miracle, right? <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? But he's like, no, th- those could not have happened. They were exaggerated. And so all this stuff, it's just made up, it's exaggerated. And, and so, and everybody in that class is just shaking their, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And, and just soaking it in. And, and, and so from that point, like it got me reading my Bible, it got me thinking about the bigger questions of life and purpose. And is this really possible? Uh, I took a lot of science classes myself. I uh, went to school in uh, undergraduate to be an engineer. And so Love math and science and physics and chemistry and all those things. And uh, I remember like in a lot of my theoretical science classes, the professors uh, were for the most part not Christian. But then when I got into my engineering classes, and engineering is kind of interesting because what it does, it takes the theoretical science and it applies it to real life problems. That's kind of what an engineer does. Uh, um, I didn't really know that until I went to college. But that's, that's kind of what I, they, they take science and apply it to, to solve problems. And what I noticed is that almost all my professors were, were Christians when I got into engineering. And, and the ones that were putting it into practice in real life recognized the same scientific knowledge. But when they looked at it in real life, they, they couldn't help but say, man, there's, there's a higher power. There's God at work here. And so that's just my personal experience. Um, but here's, here's kind of what I want to start off this morning and propose to you. The conflict between science and faith comes from either misunderstanding science or misinterpreting the Bible. I think that's a good place to kind of kick off this morning. Uh, science and faith have not always been in conflict. In fact, that's fairly recent in history that it has been. Uh, Craig Rochelle talked about this in a message I recently listened to. He, he talked about if you go back to around 400 years or so, um, uh, uh, there's a guy, well, go back to the, uh, about 400 years after the birth of Christ, there's a guy named Augustine. Uh, he believed that science and the Bible are actually complementary instead of competitive. And 
he would have said something like this, that, that you're either misunderstanding science or you're misinterpreting the Bible if you see a contradiction. Um, and what he, you know, this was kind of the dominant view for about 1,500 years. This was the dominant view in society until we hit something called the Age of Enlightenment. And what that really was was we we started making scientific discoveries and we, we came to the point where as a society we felt like we could answer all of life's questions through our science and our discovery. And, and so there was all these scientific discoveries. People started thinking, well, science, we can explain everything. We don't need God. And that's really where we've grown into the worldview that we have today. The problem when you have a competition, there's a winner and there's a loser, right? And if science wins in this competition, that means the Bible loses. If the Bible wins, science loses. Well, what if I would tell you, right, we can see how these things both work together. Uh, science and the Bible, they're really two different tools that help us understand the truth. In science, there's basically four steps you go through to prove something, uh, this kind of laying out the groundwork for where we're going today. Uh, the first thing you do, you have a question, right? And so you, you have a problem, you have a question, you have something you don't understand. So what do you do? You draw up a hypothesis. Uh, you, you have a theory about what's going to happen. And if we try this, and I think this is going to be the result, but I'm not sure. And so then you have the question, you have the, hop, hop, uh, the hypothesis. So then you put it to the, the test with an experiment. And after you get the experiment done, the test comes back, you get the result, and therefore you draw your conclusions. And I, I read this, and this is so important to think. And can we prove the existence of God? Obviously, we can't recreate it. We can't go through a, a science experiment. You cannot prove that God exists by normal scientific methods because the scientific method depends upon repetition. There are certain things that cannot be contained or repeated in order to be scientifically proven. And so just from how we do science today, I would tell you that we're going to run into a problem here, right? But what I love about science is that you're, if your hypothesis is wrong, you don't give up on science. You come up and you keep digging, you keep, uh, you keep learning, you keep experiencing, you keep going through it. And, and, and what I'm telling you today, this is your opportunity to ask more questions, to go back and uh, pursue a deeper understanding of who God is and why you're here. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going uh, to have to, 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 to understand what faith looks like. And I would tell you that for many people uh, that I've encountered throughout my, my years, they want to be 100% certain. You are never going to be 100% certain about anything in life. That's why, that's why we have faith. That's why we have trust. Uh, I would tell you that as we look through history, what we see, many of the earliest scientists were Christians. Uh, we see the Christians leading, uh, you know, leading the way in science. Men like Isaac Newton, Kepler, Galileo, uh, Galileo said that God is known by nature in his works and by doctrine in his revealed word. We see that the most famous scientists of all time stepping back and saying, even though, uh, right, we under, even though we're discovering this by science, there are still things left to be explained. Uh, in our Discover Theology class that we did last summer, um, 
we talked about something I thought was pretty applicable to today. We talked about how there were different ways of looking at the world. Uh, one of the ways is the, the Greek way of looking at life. The Greek way is kind of descriptive, explanatory. It's the rational. It's like we've got to define everything. Aristotle said once you describe something, you have exhausted it. Once you fully just described it. That, that's kind of the Greek way of looking at life. And then came the Latin way, which kind of took it to one more step. And this was concerned with the method and how things work and, and, and trying to not only describe it, but, but to, to understand it. And so what's interesting, though, is even though the Bible was written in Greek, it was not written from a Greek perspective. It was not written from a Latin perspective. It was written from a Hebrew perspective. And the Hebrews, and he, the Israelites, what they were concerned with was why, not how. And so one of the interesting ways to understand this is if you read the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, if we were writing an eyewitness account of Jesus, what would we start with? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. This is, he was six feet tall. He had brown eyes. He had olive skin. He was, we would describe what he looked like. Do you notice in the four gospel accounts that they spend no time on that? They just go into why he came. They jump right in. They, they, kinda, they, they don't get into all the details that we typically ask. Because why the, the Hebrew way, the Hebrew perspective, was why did it happen? And not just why it happened, how should we respond? They didn't get into the how. and They get, didn't get into the details. They didn't get into the process. They, they mentioned it, but that's not their focus. A good example of this is the start of the Bible. Let's, let's just kind of look at Genesis. I love, uh, you know, we open up page one of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're like, how? Uh, how did he do that? Why, you know, how did that? Tell me the details exactly. And, and he goes on, the earth was formless and empty. Well, well what does that mean? And, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And uh, we could keep going, and, 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 and from my perspective, I want to know every detail. I want a full explanation. But what the Bible does, it just says, here's what's happened. Now, why did it happen, right? It jumps to the why. And, and so for us, sometimes we get so caught up in the how that we miss the, what's most important. Uh, it, it is interesting, though, that even in that, it tells us something that science has just recently confirmed, that the world had a beginning, right? And, and so we do, we see how science confirms what the Bible teaches. For many centuries, science taught that the universe was eternal, had no beginning point. But now uh, science is like, there was a beginning. Something came from nothing. And the Big Bang Theory, you know, and this, but, but what, what is that showing? Yes, the universe had a beginning. We know from Scripture it's God said and it happened. Now, I wish we had more details and I won't because my mind, that's where I want to go and I want to understand everything. But what the Scripture tells us, this is what happened. This is what God did. And it, it kind of walks us through the creation process. And walks us through to Adam and Eve. And this is why Adam and Eve existed. And this is what happened as a result when they sinned against God. And that's why it affects us. 
And so those are the important details that we pull out of Scripture. Everything was beautiful. It all had a purpose. It all worked together. For me, um, again, right, you, you, it, you know, I was thinking last year when we were gardening, Jenny was starting plants and trying to grow the, from seeds and all that stuff and, and just watching them sprout and how incredible that was. And then you plant and you get a whole, you know, garden crop from that and just think, man, that's amazing how that works. But have you ever stopped to think about how amazing our human bodies are? Just a baby being born is absolutely a miracle every time. Our bodies are so incredibly complex. The more we learn about our bodies, the more we don't understand. You realize there are still things in our bodies that scientists can't explain, that they don't understand. They're still making discoveries like this is there. We don't really know why and what it does, but we're trying to figure it out. Even with all the genetic and uh, DNA, th- all, you know, the, all that stuff that we're learning about, the Human Genome Project, all this stuff, we're still trying to understand how our bodies work. And we get hung up on all the little details of creation. I, I, I admit, I love to study it. Um, I think we should study it. But the challenge is that we often ask Greek and Latin questions that the Bible doesn't answer. And we need to understand, right, the, 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 the Hebrew way of thinking. Our focus is, should be on understanding why and how we should respond. And so how do we do that? Let, let me kind of mention that I think this is an, an, another important thing to understand is how is we, have a, we all have a worldview. And our worldview, it shapes our understanding of science and faith. The way we view the world, what is a, what is a worldview? A worldview is a set of fundamental beliefs that inform the way we see and engage the world. It's the framework through which we interpret everyday life and we make decisions. It's like my glasses. Like we have glasses lens that we're looking through that shape our understanding and our perspective of the world around us. We all have a worldview, whether we realize it or not. Uh, Charles Colson liked to describe it. He said it's the sum total of our, of, of our beliefs about the world and the big picture that directs our de- daily decisions and our actions. Ed Stetzer said the questions at the center of our worldview revolve around how we understand God, ethics, truth, and reality. Does God exist? What is truth? How do we distinguish between good and evil? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? These type of questions kind of shape our worldview. It's been said that there are four main questions that we all have to answer. No matter where you're born, no matter what culture you're in. The, the question of origin. Where did I come from? Where did the universe come from? Why, why are we here as human beings? Right? That, that question of origin. The question of purpose. Why am I here? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? The question of morality. How should I live? How do I know right and wrong? What's gone wrong in the world? Because obviously this world has messed up. The question of destiny and mortality. Where am I going when I die? Is there suffering? Is there death? What does this mean? Those are the questions that are universal. And how we answer those questions really determines, right, what we believe and how we view the world. And every worldview has a source of authority. 
For us as believers, it's the Bible. That's our source of authority. For a, for a Muslim, it would be the Quran. For, for a, a, a naturalist, it would be nature and science. What is repeatable, what is proven by, by science. And your worldview shapes your understanding. And so if your worldview is, I don't believe in God, then you're not looking for God. You're looking to science to answer those questions of worldview. And so I think what, what I see that has happened over uh, the last 50 years or so is what we've seen. Uh, we've seen a, a, an academic setting where people are like, no, we don't believe in God. God's that fairy tale, like I was mentioning, like that professor said to me. And so what's happened is we, if you believe in a God who created the world, you're automatically out of consideration for a job in the academic world in many places. And so you're being presented one worldview without understanding there are many worldviews, without hearing the Christian viewpoint, without hearing that there's another argument that science and faith can coexist. And that's what scares me a little bit for our younger generation. They're being bombarded, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or online or YouTube videos, all this stuff. I, I showed Jennifer a video just last night on TikTok by Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's like, there's no God, right? He said, if there was a God, uh, he's not good or he's, he's not kind uh, because look at all the problems in the world around us. Look at all these natural calamities that take place. And, and, and you know, people are soaking up what guys like this are saying. And, and you know, you've got, you've got scientists like that. They're saying, no, there's no God. We can't... And, I'm like, yes, but do you understand why the world is broken? We know why the world is broken. It's because of sin. This is not the way that God intended it, and yet God's coming back again to make it better. That's what we long for. That's what we hope for. But you see, he's approaching it from a scientific perspective that says there's no God. So he's not even going to consider that. Does that make sense? This is the world we live in. You know, these are not new questions. And as you read through the Psalms, I love how the Psalms acknowledge there is a God. And they don't always understand what they're supposed to do. They don't always understand how they should respond. But we do see them acknowledge God. Psalm 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. Uh, you know, every time I see a sunset, every time I see a sunrise, I'm just like, God is so creative. So incredible. The skies that proclaim the glory of God. Psalm 104, let all that I am praise the Lord. My, oh Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtains of heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home and the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. The flames of fire are your servants. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. And at your command, the water fled. At the sound of thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the sea so that they would never again cover the earth. We see this description. If you keep reading, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm 104. If you keep reading that whole chapter, you, you see very quickly, God is God. God is God. 
Um, let's look at the four questions again. The question of origin. God created this world and everything in it. His design was perfect. When you look at a, a, at a painting, how did, what do you realize? You realize really quickly that there was a painter. The painting is the proof of a painter. When you, you look at a building, it is proof that there was a builder. Right? Uh, the, the same logic follows when you look at creation. Creation is proof of a creator. It's not an accident. The, the question of purpose. What's our purpose? Well, we're created in the image of God, but we have a responsibility to multiply and inhabit the world. We're called to cultivate this world we live in. We are one of God's creatures, but we are unique among creation because of our spiritual and moral responsibilities. We have a conscience. We have the ability to recognize who God is. The question of morality. For me, we look around again. We realize this world is broken, but that's not the way it was supposed to be. Sin has broken this world we live in. We know that there is a right and a wrong. That, That is wired inside of us. Every culture, every place around the world, that is not something that you're taught. There is right and there is wrong. That morality comes from the imprint of God upon each and every human soul. The question of destiny. Now as believers, we know one day God is coming back to restore this world to the perfect place He intended it to be. No more suffering. No more death. I love in Revelation reading that. To read about what it's going to be like to be with God for all of eternity. When He fixes all this brokenness that we live in. And so that kind of leads me then to, to, to this point. If we want to grow in our understanding of faith and science, we've got to focus on the why before we jump to the how. I think we reverse this order and get, in tr- get into trouble. We want to we know all the how before we believe why. <laughs> God, if, if I can make sense of all this, then I will believe in you. A lot of people say, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus And they believe some things about God. And then one day, what happens? They read an article that contradicts what they thought about God. Or they hear someone say, or they attend a class when a professor says something that seems to contradict what they thought. Or they see a video on YouTube, or they have a friend say that you can't believe this. That's not how it really happened. And suddenly their faith begins to crumble. It's like a house of cards. And once that card is pulled out, the whole house crumbles because they... Uh, have either misunderstood science or misinterpreted the Bible. It seems that when we study faith and science, we jump right into the how, and the problem becomes we base everything upon our own limited understanding. How old is the earth? How did God create the earth? How did we get to where we are today? How did the dinosaurs die? Uh, did all the continents connect? How were the mountains formed? Did a flood happen? And what, how did that happen? And how long? And when? And we, we get so caught up in all these questions. And they're good questions. Right? Uh, and, and I'm not saying you don't study that. But when we only study that and we don't think about the why, we get into trouble. Remember, that the Hebrew origins of the Bible... Uh, many of the details aren't written out for us word for word. They were based more on why everything happened. If we start with why, we can fill in the details of how. There's a guy named John Cavanaugh who was a famous ethicist. Uh, He was searching for purpose in life and 
Some of you are probably here saying, well, what is my purpose in life, right? Oh, he, he, so what did he do? He packed up his bags. He moved to Calcutta, India to serve the poor with Mother Teresa. And if you've ever seen her, she was a small woman. Uh, they had these powerful conversations. And, and she asked him, how can I pray for you? And he said, oh, here's what I need. I need clarity. Will you pray for me for clarity? And, and Mother Teresa looked at him and said, the last thing you need is clarity. That's the last thing you're clinging to and you've got to let go of it. And I think some of us are probably clinging on to clarity. We want clarity. We want all the answers. We want to understand everything. And, and, and he asked her, why won't you pray for me for clarity? And she said this. She, she said, I've never had clarity, but what I've always had is trust. So that's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray that you trust God. Some of you, you've been asking questions your whole life, searching for clarity. And I, I want to keep, I want you to encourage to keep asking questions. But at some point, it, it switches over to we, instead of clarity, we need trust. We need faith. When we think that our faith is based on having all the answers, what we've done is we've put ourselves, we, we really, we've made science an idol in our life. We've made it the idol that we worship instead of Jesus. Um, you know, there's several arguments for uh, the Creator that I've read that really have made an impact in my life. And I just wanted to take a minute and, and share these this morning. Um, one is the uh, kind of the analogy of a watchmaker. Have you ever heard this? Uh, all designs imply a designer, just like we were talking about earlier. If you find a watch on the beach, you, you take it apart and see all the intricate parts working together. You're going to look at that and you're going to say, this did not happen by accident. And I, I saw, saw one guy say, you know, the, the probability of our human bodies being put together the way they are is like a tornado going through a junkyard and fully assembling a 747. That's, that's kind of what that, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? A design implies a designer. The greater the complexity of the design and the order of something, the more a designer has to be considered. There's also the argument of irreducible complexity. Uh, this is one that, I, that to me made a lot of sense. And uh, if you study this, uh, biochemist Michael Behe speaks of this a lot. He talks about a mousetrap. Um, the common mousetrap includes a platform, a hammer, a catch, a spring, and a holding bar. Each component uh, is required for the mousetrap to function as a mousetrap. Right? If one part is missing, the mousetrap fails to function as a mousetrap. Uh, it, it, it's, that's the, that's the, the minimum complexity it has to have to function. Uh, and, and so you think about that. There must be a minimal number of interacting parts that are assembled to allow the catching of mice before the trap can be developed into more advanced levels. And he applies this to our human body. The human body is irreducibly complex. And, and, and if just one thing was missing, we would fail to be human. We would, our bodies would fail to function. It's not like, well, we, this worked for a while and then we developed into this. And it just does not make sense. Um, and, and I encourage you to kind of look at that. There's staggering design and order to the universe. 
uh, so much design and order that there's too much to, for chance. Um, and so there's got to be a great designer of the universe. Not only that, this world we live in is uniquely suitable for human life. You realize that we're standing here spinning at thousands of miles an hour. All right, I mean, does that, have you ever stopped to think about that? You know, we like driving fast. You realize that we're standing here and this earth is spinning thousands of miles an hour. We're just the right distance from the sun. If we were just a little bit farther, a little bit closer, life would not be possible. We have just the right amount of oxygen in our atmosphere to sustain life. Everything that we, I mean, it, you look at everything and how arrogant it is for us to think, oh, this just happened. We're just here by chance. This is just an, a cosmic accident. All right? And I, if you told me that uh, some green alien came and put us here and we're living in, uh, you know, uh, you, that makes more sense to me than we're here by chance. That's just the reality of this world we live in. Um, in an NPR interview, Owen Gingrich, he was a professor of astronomy at, at at the Harvard Smithsonian Center, he, he said this. He said, There are so many wonderful details which, if they were changed only slightly, it would make it impossible for us to be here. Be here. Uh, that one just has to feel somehow that there is a design in the universe and therefore a designer to have it worked out so magnificently. Even Stephen Hawking, right, the physicist, he, he once told a reporter, The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think clearly there are religious implications. He went on to say it would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun just this way except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. Even famous atheists have questions that their worldview cannot answer. Right? And so that's, again, we're looking at this whole idea of science. It brings me back, and this is the passage I kind of wanted uh, to, 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 to bring up is Romans 1, because this so explains this world we live in. Uh, let's look at it. It says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And then it goes on to say what happened. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him or as God or even give thanks to Him. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart designed. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They, trued, they traded the truth of God for a lie. Like, highlight this verse, right? They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. What an apt description of the world we live in today. We have traded the worship of the Creator God for the created things. And it's led to so many problems for us. We've worshipped created things. We've worshipped our own knowledge. We've worshipped our own understanding of science. We've worshipped 
our own bodies even to the point where we've forgotten about the Creator, God. Uh, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, my argument against God, because he was, if you read his story, he was an atheist that, that, that came to faith. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of a just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. I just kept thinking back to the Old Testament book of Job as well. And Job was searching for answers. He wanted details. Why, God, did this happen to me? Have you read Job 38? Again, I encourage you to go back this week and read it. But the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And you just keep reading. You see, God is God. He's in control of this world we live in. I share all this this morning, again, to kind of pick your interest, maybe to, to kind of give you a nudge to go and research this further. But ultimately, it kind of comes down to this. This is what I want to close with. Ultimately, we have to answer the question, why are we here? Why are we here? And, and I want to promise you that you'll never have all the answers to anything. It's going to take some faith. And I want to remind you that you don't have to know every answer to every question to trust in Jesus. It's going to, have, it's going to take faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so what separates Christianity from all other world religions? It's not us trying to achieve our way and reach God. It's God cares about us so much that He came to us. Christianity answers the question of origin and purpose and morality and destiny, but it calls us to live a life that goes beyond ourselves. Uh, there's a couple other things, if, uh, kind of resources I'll mention. There's a couple of videos out there that I wish I could show. Um, Louis Giglio did, uh, How Great Is Our God and uh, Indescribable. If you've not seen those, search for those on YouTube. Um, I'll try to link to them on social media this week that just show how incredible this universe is that we live in. And, and I just want to close with this thought this week. Jesus was born in a small, obscure village of somewhat questionable repute, the child of a peasant woman. He didn't go to high school or college. In fact, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never wrote a book. He never held public office. And he was only 33 years old when the tide of public opinion turned against him, prompting even his closest friends to abandon him. He was then turned over to his enemies and was nailed to a wooden cross between two criminals. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. After he died, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of an acquaintance. Yet today... He is arguably the central figure of the entire human race. 
His life even marks our concept of time. We call this year A.D. 2024 Latin for the year of our Lord. Anything before that is referenced by B.C., meaning before Christ. As Philip Yancey observed about the life of Jesus, you can gauge the size of a ship that has passed out of sight by the huge wake that it leaves behind. No wonder that everyone, no matter where they are spiritually, is intrigued by Jesus and fascinated by his life and his teaching, message, and mission. I want to close with Psalm 111, just the first three verses. And it says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work and His righteousness endures forever. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we step back and look at this world that You created, we look at this world that we live in, what we see is it is so incredible that we can't even begin to understand and describe everything. Help us to realize why we are here. Help us to understand who you are and why you love us and why you came to earth as Jesus and, and you rescued us from this brokenness and from the sin that we live in. Lord, I pray for each person here today, for each person listening online, that they would be able to say, there is a God, and His name is Jesus, and that He loves me, and He cares for me. And I pray that each person could say that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Lord, Your, your Word, I'm so thankful we have Your Word that tells us why we are here, that tells us the answer to these questions of life. And so, again, I just pray we would surrender, and we would trust, we would put our faith in You. I pray that we would continue to research and learn and understand who you are and why, we, why we're here. But we do it from a worldview that acknowledges that you are the creator and we are the created. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.